0: Today on the Show Me and podcast, Susan Pendergrass is joined by Lee Habib. Lee is CEO of Our American Network and host of Our American Stories. He has written columns for USA Today and the Washington Examiner and is a columnist at townhall.com and National Review. Download the Our American Stories podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts and visit ouramericannetwork.org to
1: find an affiliate station near you. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass.
0: I'm very excited to speak to Mr. Lee Habib this morning. Uh, welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, you are also a podcast. Well, if I'm calling myself a podcaster, okay, why not? So, you're a podcaster and you have a radio show and your own radio network. Is that right?
1: Well, I do a lot of different things, but uh, I work at Salem Media Group, which syndicates six of the top 20 shows in the country. Wow. And Dennis Prager, you, Hewitt, Larry Elder, Eric Metaxas, a great Christian broadcaster, uh, deep thinker, great writer, and we also own a lot of intellectual property there. But I also run a non storytelling show that I started about five years ago with, uh, with a small team that now is almost 25 people uh, full-time telling stories every day about the country, about how it started, about the ideas that started it, and ultimately the show has become the fastest growing show in the country, and I've I've had a lot of big growing shows, but there seems to have been a fundamental need in the country for dialing down the politics and trying to have understanding about, well, who are we? Where did we come from? What is intellectual property? I mean, you can say what it is, but if you tell a story about what it is and who Ben Franklin was and why intellectual property interested him, because he had this thing called Paul Poor Richard's Almanac, and he didn't want someone to steal it from him. So these ideas of property rights that we throw around and, and free enterprise and capitalism and, 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 and all the economic theories that we deploy um, in policy are, are going over the heads of ordinary people.
0: You say we, on. you mean like the conservative right? You say we well, have a storytelling deficit?
1: Yeah, I think we do. I mean, I think what the, the left does so well is they have both think tanks and activist groups, and that's good. I mean, I'm glad sure. they have them. Uh, the competition of ideas makes us all better. That's this right. is what makes the country great. There's always been from its founding, people disagreeing and arguing mm-hmm. about big things um, and arguing in a way that we weren't shooting each other. And and this is a remarkable thing that we should all be grateful for in our country. And I think sure. too often we're not. Um, but yeah, the the our side tends to invest in think tanks and that's great because that's the ideas that get to the policymakers that change the world. And then we also invested in our political space with political spending for our candidates, but we have spent very little, invested almost nothing in converting some of the policy uh, battles into stories. And moreover, telling the story of the story of free enterprise. I mean, how, how do you not tell the story of free enterprise without telling Henry Ford's story? i sure. um, you tell the story, people understand free enterprise. You don't even have to say the words free or enterprise. It so uh,
0: that's right. Uh, my background is mostly or my career mostly has been in education policy and specifically school choice. And because this is just my, my perspective, because um, school choice is sort of the exception, not the rule, and that we've had a big system of public education run by sort of a, a very powerful group of people, I've always taking this approach, I'm trying to stop and you're, you're going to help me with this, but I was taking this approach. Like I've got to give evidence. If I want you to enact a school choice policy, I provide evidence that for sure charter schools are better than, um, non-charter public schools. I can't make that case. I can't prove that point. But when parents want them and when parents like them and when parents tell their stories and when kids tell their stories about getting out of a school where they were bullied or the teachers didn't care, them, I think it's so much more powerful. And there's a lot of lot to be learned there for people um, pressing for these types of policies, I think.
1: There's no doubt. You know, a friend of mine at Walden Media did a movie called Waiting for Superman.
0: Yeah, I love that movie. And,
1: and it's a beautiful movie because it's it's not about the ideas. It's about the people.
0: That's exactly and, right.
1: And so when it's about the people and then they tell their story, look, I've this is what I've always witnessed because I come from a background in theater. And hmm. when, when you're telling your story, no one says, stop, that's not true. Right. Cause it's your right. story. And sure. if I choose to go to a restaurant every day, one can only presume that I like that restaurant. And so if we let that lady mom, that single mom or that family, that, that working class family say, here's why we send our kids to the Catholic school and we're not Catholic because mm-hmm. our kids doing better there. And we wish- And it may have nothing our to our
0: do our with the test score, right? Nothing to do it's with like, the test score. It's how right. the principal looks me in the eye and talks to me when I walk in the door and how my child feels when they go in the morning. And I know this is all true, but I just, I just think that, uh, in the supporters of school choice side we could do a better job of getting stories out there cuz that's what all that's all that really matters
1: in the end if, if we don't connect our policy fights to stories um, we're going to struggle um, and and we're going to struggle dearly cuz it's going to look like we care about the ideas more than the people yeah and then how who, do you get your stories the then i always ask who are the elites then if we're for a policy but not really concerned about getting down into the ground and meeting the people who've benefited from this, or are victims of the policy. Because look, there are real life victims in these stories. Sure, and there sure. are real life heroes in these stories. And that's the other part of storytelling. You know, Eva Moskowitz, we did a story about her. She's a the Success Academy in New York. Um, th- these stories exist. You know, what What got built in the Harlem Children's Zone by Jeffrey Canada, by that's one right. man, who's by the way, not a conservative. He's a no, liberal. That's this right. is not a, and that's what we got to get out of the... I find that we're in these boxes. We then restrict our ability to connect.
0: That's and, right.
1: And I don't, I just, if we're for the idea that a middle-class parent, in the end, the first thing they ask a real estate uh, agent is how are the schools? That's and right. if there were good public schools functioning, and my goodness, my dad was a superintendent of a highly functional public school. Nobody, the only kids who opted out of that were kids who had to go to military school because they <laughs> yeah. just couldn't conform. That, right. So the, the, the question isn't, are there good public schools or bad? The question isn't just are the unions strong or not, they yeah. are, um, but some many public schools work and they just do. And many parents, even conservative parents choose to send their kids of there course. even though they lean left um, because we can and we, we want our kids to hear different opinions. But for the kids in inner cities, the people with their structural lack of choice Um, I think these are our very best stories because there's no choice. All we're doing is coming in and saying, Hey, let these folks have the same choice. All of us exercise.
0: And one cool thing is that some of the the longest running and biggest um, successful charter school networks like KIPP, they have tens of thousands, they have hundreds of thousands of alumni now who are out there telling their story that if it weren't for my parents choose being able to choose that school, I wouldn't be a college graduate right now. So I think we're developing some lore around school choice that didn't exist 20 years ago, which is great. But um, I'm curious to know, how do you find your stories or how do you decide what you're going to talk about on your show?
1: Well, that's a good question. The first thing we want to do is we want to make sure that people are listening. The the key to speaking is if, if, you know, Al Pacino, if you ever, ever, ever have the chance, Al Pacino was the first person to ever be interviewed by James Lipton on the Bravo channel. Those great conversations. And he did Al Pacino first because Al Pacino, as good as he was, was continually in acting school. And he happens yeah. to be the president of the actor's studio. Oh, Go well. right? Because yeah. he's always learning about listening because really what great actors do, and this is hard to imagine, is they're incredible listeners. Hmm. Incredible listeners. Because they've got to listen to that line coming at them as if they heard it for the first time. Right. And then react to it naturally, as opposed to having a preconditioned response. So, you know, this this thing uh, called listening means I got to get listeners. And so what are they going to be attracted to? Well, stories that they understand, but might not know the rest of. So we started by picking people who were in the lore that people might have known about from Abraham Lincoln to Thomas Jefferson to Ben Franklin, but also Arnold Palmer or or let's take uh, Dolly Parton, because she Love owns her story, an incredible <laughs> story, right? But yeah. the core of it for us was a story of a particular song, I Will Always Love You. And when we're, we're reaching out to different people to say, hey, Mr. Songwriter Hall of Fame, we're looking for a story about a song and its intellectual property value and the struggle of the artist to retain that Control of that property and not have someone else take it from them Mm -hmm. or a company, whatever. And Dolly wrote this song, I Will Always Love You, uh, on the Porter Wagner show as a way to say goodbye to him because the contract was over. And she wrote it. And quickly, Elvis Presley understood how good the song was, and he tried to move in with Colonel Tom Parker, perform, but also own it. Mm -hmm. Dolly said, You're not owning my song. Well, about 15, 20 years later, Whitney Houston records it. Tens of millions of dollars earned by Dolly Parton. And in the miracle of free enterprise, a black gospel singing girl, a black gospel singing girl who grew up in Newark, works and collaborates with a girl who grew up in the Smoky Mountains with nothing. Right. And and she, she interprets Dolly's song better, as Dolly said, than I could have ever. And this is, again, the beauty of free enterprise, intellectual property, but it's told through a story that we all know, but we didn't know.
0: Is that a story that's on your podcast?
1: It is. It is.
0: I just watched a documentary about Dolly and she's no fool. She's an astute businesswoman.
1: Wickedly good businesswoman. Worth, by the way, her net worth is over $500 million.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, what's the name of the podcast?
1: It's called Our American Stories. Okay. And And we like to see ourselves as sort of an alternative. To NPR, they do a okay. lot of storytelling there, but it's more city and suburban, and 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 by the way, we do city stories too, but yeah. we just do it more from a perspective of less ideology. You know, we're not doing global warming every minute or immigration mm-hmm. every minute or the hot button issues. We're not a political show. We want okay. to tell people what Henry Ford did. Um, how did he lower the price of cars and raise wages? Who is he? Where was he from? What was his burning ambition? What why was he going after? What quest was he on? It wasn't for money. Most of these guys, it's not the money. It's something eaten at them, some problem they want to solve. Uh-huh. And, and uh, this is truly at the heart of all of it. And they want to fix something that somebody thought wasn't fixable. They want to create something somebody thought couldn't be created. And most of the time, our favorite is the Wright brothers, They're doing something alone that all the governments of the world were trying to get to flight. And these two bicycle mechanics are goofing off in Kitty Hawk. So incredible. And they're not doing it for the money, right? They're doing it for the invention. They're doing it because they're doing it right. They're doing it. They want to figure it out and they want to be first. Um, They, by the way, they never really monetized it. A lot of inventors don't monetize their invention. It's the innovator and the entrepreneur who takes that invention And popularizes it.
0: What I think is so interesting about that is that was, what, 1904, 1905? And within 10 years, we're in a war using airplanes. I mean, that technology just went, once they figured it out, exploded so quickly. But it does take somebody... what
1: their story is about, and David McCullough helped us with that story, is the, the world and all the top engineers were working on the problem of power. How to thrust this piece... of of equipment up into the air so it could glide. But the Wright brothers, because they were bicycle mechanics, and by the way, this is not a day when bicycles were a real serious form of transportation, and they were the best. They weren't mere bicycle mechanics. Dayton was the Silicon Valley of its day. Bicycles were the transportation. And they had wind tunnels in Dayton. And they knew that the problem of flight was solving the the problem of balance. So they were working on a different problem, and that's how they solved it. And so walking, and by the way, they went through many crashes. That's why they were in Kitty Hawk. You crash, you're on the on this soft, sort of really soft sand. Moreover, right. there's the wind tunnels. If you have ever been to Kitty Hawk, there are dunes, and then the wind w- just sort of wisps through the dunes. Always. And so, <laughs> so it, it's so fascinating. And a couple of guys from Dayton spend their falls, and 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 by the way, the, the locals were looking at these crazy people. In the dunes, trying to get something airborne and getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and thinking, yeah. what crazy people. And those are, a lot of times, are entrepreneurs. They're not like the rest of the children and you can't teach it. You can try and teach it, but you can encourage it though. You can encourage risk-taking and adventure, um, which I so, think is short supply today in America. I you think to so too. And failure. Um, but we, told, we tell the stories every day in the hope that parents will encourage their kids to take risks and fall out of a tree and 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 try something all by themselves with no laptop in front of them yeah. um, and play. And the idea of play, which is central to our show, uh, the way Americans play and get along um, is really quite unusual.
0: How is that central to your show? I'm curious. Because,
1: you know, it, 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 think about, you know. But how do you
0: make it central to your show? Because
1: it's central to American life.
0: It is. So
1: we, we want to find stories about what Tocqueville observed when he came here. I mean, what did Tocqueville Tocqueville really discover about America in his quest to study prisons? It was, my goodness, these people have associations for everything. And they get together and they just do stuff. And it's not centralized. It just comes from this joy of, of, of communion and problem solving. And most important, just fun. He saw how much fun Americans had. We like to party. We love love to drink apple cider. We love to bring <laughs> up motors and race each other. We we are constantly playing. It's why sports are so central to our life, because it's it's play in the end. Right. And uh, so that's why we make it central to the show: risk, adventure, courage, play, love, compassion, generosity. Because these are central to the American experiment and self governance. Without these things, how do we govern ourselves?
0: So you pick a story. Mm -hmm. And then you research it, or what do you find? Somebody who's an expert. How do you make it happen?
1: Yeah, like we just did one on the uh, on the kazoo museum. The kazoo. I mean, it's an American invention. The kazoo, right? So (laughs) there's a whole museum. There's a whole museum dedicated to kazoos. And by the way, it's next to the company that makes kazoos. Very smart. And uh, it was a wonderful little story about how the kazoo came to be. And 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 by the way, it's you. We find these stories because. As the show grows, we're in 300 affiliates, two hours a night now. So, and I mean, big cities. Every we're, night. Every night. So people are listening and I routinely tell them, if you love the show, send a story that you think people will be interested. So we have this ability from the wisdom of the crowds to say, hey, try this, try that. And we do, because our audience is really smart. And I, we never talk down to audiences, nor do we talk up to them. We try to just meet them where they live. Um, and Is it growing? I, is your oh, audience growing? Well, it, it, it went from one affiliate, one station five years ago, to we're now at 312. Um, so we're actually the fastest growing show in all of syndicated radio right now. Um, and I think it's in large measure because people, you know, Ronald Reagan once said people want to love where they're from. <laughs> and if you don't know where you were, you'll never know where you're going. And this is where story connects that all. And this has been, I actually think, I don't even think it's a mistake or a misallocation of capital. In other words, we spent really plenty of money on the think tanks, which we should. Sure. We spent plenty of money on the politicians, which we should. But for some reason, we never really thought the story was important. Oh, it's emotional. It's just a story. Who cares about stories? Uh, but, but that's malpractice. It's an actual its actual um, intellectual malpractice. Because- yeah.
0: And Most I think people, people really process. like podcasts and documentaries now, and I love stories. So I think you're at a, a nice moment in time where people are interested in these long form, you know, we're not really reading magazines and things like that. So I love to dig in on a story, um, yep. especially human interests, entrepreneurship. I mean, they, those are all just so fat that I do like listening to how I built this, which is an NPR storytelling, but you it's know, nice. it's fascinating to me.
1: Yep. And that's uh, you know, You know, so we'll have a story about, you know, we we just did one recently about Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address and why he went to Gettysburg in November and not July. I mean, the battle was fought in July. Why why did he wait till November? Well, we learned that it took six months, five months to bury the bodies. Oh my gosh. 9,000 bodies. Then all the horses and all the donkeys and all the animals. And then he went in November because the place wasn't going to stink of death. Oh, my so gosh. If people say to me, these are the hardest political times. I go, oh, please. Read <laughs> get out more often. Right now, yeah. you can get ghosted or canceled. Um, then you got killed by a bayonet or shrapnel. 600,000 right. guys die. And our country was fighting over an idea. The word all in all men created equally. And 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 Lincoln continually honed in on that word all. Like, mm-hmm. does that mean what it means or not, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what a serious thing that half of America and the other half fought, and that white, many white, mostly it's white Christians that really did this battling, by the way, in Michigan and Pennsylvania. It was at where did the abolition movement come from, right? Who was building that Underground Railroad? It wasn't just anybody, right? It was people with a deep faith connection. So, we often write about that too. It's misapprehended the pivotal role that faith, people's faith have played in the formation of this country. So we don't treat that as some stepchild issue. Mm -hmm. Um, It's as important as economics because Adam Smith wrote two books. He wrote the theory of moral moral sentiments and the wealth of nations. And he knew without a moral people, well, how do we self-govern? How do we Um, self-govern? And these are important questions. So we try to integrate all this stuff. A lot of good questions coming at us, but we also like to look at famous people, and then really investigate what don't people know or famous stories and say, what's the <laughs> so rest? So much. <laughs> and there's so much, it's an it's now an endless reserve. And our biggest problem is the stories we want to get to that we don't have the time to get to.
0: Yeah, it's um, our schools don't do the very best job of teaching history. And I think no. it's one of the most interesting subjects. And of course, you're just risking that you'll repeat the mistakes of people before you if you don't learn them, right? So I just think... Uh, I, you know, it's a shame, like uh, national assessments and whatnot. We do not do very well in history and it's declining. And it's such an important thing, I think, to learn.
1: It is. And, and you know, the, what, one of the problems we were trying to solve for was precisely that. I always pictured a parent she taking an eight hour drive and they got the kids in the backseat. And do they really want to listen to a history lesson? I mean, once yeah. you say I have to learn, my something in my brain switches off because it feels like compulsion. All right, right. now shut up. And listen, I'm going to teach you what you need to know, as opposed to discovery, uh, as opposed to. And this is what's beautiful about a story is, you know, human beings are hardwired to learn through the narrative form. And, and by the way, they remember things when it's organized in a narrative form. Um, they don't remember arguments and debates just a month, not a month later. You ask them four hours later what they learned and they're not sure.
0: Right. But if
1: you tell a story and look, the most important book ever written, whether you're a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, but the biggest book of all time, the bestseller of all time, is not John Grisham. It's the Bible. Sure. And 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 it's stories, Cain and Abel, that story of betrayal is a story that every two brothers know when a father gives one a, a reward and doesn't give the other. And if the brother doesn't kill the brother, he might punch the brother. And every brother, every friend knows the stories and the characters in the Bible on some level, whether they're Christians or not. right. Um, and, and so this is how deeply I've always connected to story. And then when I went to the University of Virginia Law School, I loved the way law was able to use story because it is a story. Here's litigant A, here's litigant B, what's your story, what's your story? Right. There's a collision of stories and there's a winner and a loser. So law it lends itself beautifully to story. And we've been doing a lot of the Institute for Justice's stories because oh, nice. they're really great liberty stories. A mm-hmm. hair braider in Mississippi who mm-hmm. one day discovers she has to pay licensing fees that she never had to pay before and go to braiding school after braiding hair for 25 years. And a uh,
0: single th- mother in Montana who wants to send her. In Montana.
1: <laughs> and by the way, thanks to the great work of the local state think tank, okay. um, she had a place to go. They took her to the state legislature where she told her story that mm-hmm. went on to the TV stations. Pretty soon the state legislature was getting hammered with phone calls, right. free the hair braider, Free yeah. the hair braid. Right. And all of a sudden the licensing requirements went away and she was able to braid hair. That's yeah. our way. I think of telling the story of how incumbents big businesses will using government favor will punish the entrant or punish the small person, the little gal, the little guy. And That's these are, that are natural winners for people who love free enterprise and free markets. Yeah, I uh, saw a
0: great video on um, equine massage therapist. So uh, massage therapist for horses, mm-hmm. you can pet a horse, but you can't massage a horse without right. a license. Right. So, you know, I saw a really good story on that. So I'm just curious to know, you sound extremely upbeat and you certainly probably find yourself talking a lot every day. Um, how, do you, are you, how do you feel about the future of this country? Are you optimistic?
1: Oh, I, I'm, people who aren't optimistic about this country should go. I had a mis- guess
0: you were going to say yes, but yeah, I was just curious.
1: I'll, I'll tell you an next thing that my grandparents did because it was a beautiful gift they gave. Um, They both wanted me to remember what they went through to come here. Because can you imagine, you know, Mussolini's coming in on your home country and he's the inventor of fascism. Right. Uh, Not Hitler. Hitler perfects it. Mussolini creates it. Right. And so all the things that they loved and owned were gone and and were about to be gone. And 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 so my grandfather comes not because he wants to come but because he knows that it's the only thing he can do for his family. He's leaving the place he loves. He's 15. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the customs. He loves Italy, but he knows that his life can't be lived there. And he makes a brutal bargain to do good by his family. And he falls in love with his adopted home because he didn't want to be a man trapped between two countries. So he took all of us to the Statue of Liberty, Jersey side, to see behind the Statue of Liberty, the swearing in of hundreds of immigrants at a time coming to the country. And he said, go speak to them. That was me. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I heard were these heartbreakingly beautiful stories about my own country and what it had liberated them from. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I always, a, like to keep that idea in my head burning, that whenever we're thinking about the most, most recent struggles, our ability to tell that story of where people came from and to, if we did that more frequently, they're not, By the not. one of them says they want to come here to fundamentally transform America. Now, <laughs> one of them says America is an evil country. Now, one of them says I hate capitalism. Now, one of them says they don't think there's any opportunity here. None of them say any of the things that we hear at universities. Meanwhile, they're all from places like India, Kenya, Ethiopia, Nigeria. Okay. They're not white. That's and right. they're not adopting whiteness. they're 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 using their culture like my grandfather did to open an Italian restaurant and cook pizza and spaghetti and meatballs that the Irish kids on the block lined up. <laughs> beautiful-
0: yeah, I went to a immigration nationalization ceremony one time, and after I did, I thought it should be required a required event for every american because when you see a group of 30 people take the oath to be a citizen of this country and they're crying and their families are with them and they're taking pictures and you know how desperate and how grateful they are to be a citizen of this country it did make me uh gave me pause that we take a lot of stuff for granted here
1: yeah and i think that's what we try and get at is oh my goodness you know this is actually a miracle what we're doing right mm-hmm. um, in many parts of the world you don't flick on a switch and there's light okay. you don't like go out to the store and there's choice you don't so have choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you don't have contracts that are enforceable you have a police who you're afraid of because they're going to rape your children i had a guest here from uganda um and and he, he grew up with idi amin and he thought things would get better when Idi Amin was gone. Only five warring tribes competed to see who'd be the next Idi Amin, and rape. it got worse. That's and the way, it was just rape everywhere. And he, when he came to this country, he came here with a context that was spectacular. And he's done exceedingly well as almost all of his Ugandan friends have. And, and, and having that story told uh, on our airwaves is a very different perspective um, and, it, and then the question of, is America good or bad? is rendered rather moot from the opinion, that his opinion, yeah. not somebody who's been here litigating, oh, it's your opinion, it's my opinion. These immigrants, their opinions are different than the rest of us. They have a special credibility because they've been someplace else. Right. The other day I was joking at my church. I said, you know, we should, because we don't think our kids really have gratitude of what they have and it's hard we're doing so well the whole country most of us so even the ones who are doing poorly are doing well compared to the rest of the world right mm-hmm. Compa- our poorest live better than you know rich people and by the way our poorest live better than rich people only 50 years ago in our own country that's right that's and they have right. air conditioning my father said i slept out on a balcony <laughs> in a five-story one bedroom with my my, my sister on the roof because we had yeah. no air conditioning sleeping on a roof I, you know and no one does that anymore <laughs> and, and, and so you know that, that that's this space for us is is almost it's almost a ministry and mm-hmm. what you experience by the way is what people in church experience when we gather in more than one or two we you know it's it's a church right and then we're worshiping together and when these 30 gather it's almost an American ministry. It's, it's saying we're from so many different places, but we came here for basically two reasons. And it's either conscience, be able to be, be, think the things they want to think, believe in the God they want to believe, or economic freedom. Yep, and It's the same story with a different language and yep. a, different, a different background. So the idea that we don't do diversity in America, well, the Irish, the Italians, the Greeks, and heck, as my grandfather said, I'm Siciliano. I'm not <laughs> the Sicilian. the So, I mean, <laughs> you know, we are the original diversity people. That's right. And we do diversity and divergence and love and how we love is so much different than anywhere in the world that I literally, when I go into college classrooms, I start with my own, I, I put a diagram on the board and I show where my people are from. And then I show my wife and where her people are from. And I'm like Lebanese, Italian, and Swiss, and a few other things. (laughs) My wife is Viking, Irish, Asian, and a little bit of American Indian, which means my daughter is a walking United Nations. That's right. To call her white because she has white skin, or Arab because she has an Arab last theme, is such a disservice to this beautiful, beautifully molded, remarkable child. And I think of God. So I think she's a child of God, remarkably created like no other person in the world. And I want her to discover who she is. Right. That's in America. You get to do that like no other country in the world.
0: Yeah, I will say, like, um, as a from the point of view of a researcher, um, the Census Bureau now lets people pick two or more races. You don't have to say what they are you can just pick two or more it's one of the fastest growing groups uh dem- demographically because people want to honor both sides of their like both of their parents all of their grandparents and now you can just say two or more races and uh, i think that's a nice thing that we that people can now do you don't have to well, in the classroom to
1: when i ask this question then i go to the kids it's like i'm never it's never under eight races yeah eight. right and then i asked them well, why do you identify with one more than another is it to get ahead yeah. Is maybe because you get cultural superiority from it or you feel more in tune with it? And I, I don't have the answer. I asked uh, there's a series of yeah, questions. Yeah. And I sometimes get an answer that's not my question, but it's a wonderful conversation. I said, so does anybody think this country has a diversity problem? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I hope, you know, I hope that there's more media out there like yours and more that we can consume because you know, I think there's a lot of negative. I think there's a lot of um you know, I want to stay off of Twitter and stay away from some of the very vitriolic stuff that's out there. And I like to hear good, positive stories. And so I'm glad that you're you're putting them out there.
1: Well, you know, you know, I, 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 you know, for all of us who are, you know, listening, I would urge everyone to listen to Ronald Reagan's farewell address because he addresses this thing. Now, imagine when Reagan comes to office, the Republican Party in the '70s had just just gone through Watergate a shaming thing. We were in the minority in the House of Representatives by, what, right. a hundred? Right. Um, people thought the Republican Party was dead. Jimmy Carter wins in 76. We have embargoes on oil. The yeah. Iranian hostage crisis, 16% interest rates. You can't buy a house. It's impossible if you're young. And in comes this guy with a smile and a story about his country. And I think our side has got to remember that and, and and happiness is essential as we go out into the public space Yeah. joy and love it, it's necessary if we complain and we yeah. uh, and everything's <laughs> terrible and the world's coming to an end i go oh my goodness i would have loved to have been with you in let's say the battle of baston right <laughs> I, I for my life i find it my my own people lots of conservatives we've gone to this sort of whining position yeah and, and we're victors, right? And free markets work here better than anywhere else. And we want to preserve that. And we want to encourage others to know about it. But a smile attached to that story with examples of, of, of and, and as often as possible, bringing that person up. And if I were a politician, I would barely speak. I'd say, I want to talk to you about some of my constituents. No, actually, here's the microphone. Meet Marcia Taylor. We did a story about this lady, 16 years old, Um, She gets married because she gets pregnant to a 19-year-old. This is not a good formula for success. And she grew up poor, her father died. So she was looking for uh, love in all the wrong places. By by, By 17, this guy is an abusive alcoholic. There's a job opening four states away in Georgia that friends got her to work at a trucking company. She started to work there, she learned the business, she actually fell in love with the guy there, and the two of them ended up buying the business from the family that owned it. And wow. then her husband dies. So now she's the matriarch and the runner of a business, single again at like 32 or 33. Banks aren't sure they should give a woman money because what would a woman know about running a trucking business? She convinced them to do it. And she now is the runs the single largest trucking company in America. Wow. In in her district. I would have her in front of a microphone, and I wouldn't care how she voted, and I wouldn't ask her for her policy opinions. i just have her tell her story yeah. about what country we have, right? And, and We're that- the
0: country of the eternal second chance. I don't think people realize the value in that, that. You can be 60 years old and decide you want to be a veterinarian, and you can do it here. Like, mm-hmm. much of the world, you cannot change your mind over and over and over. But we are the country of the eternal second chance. And I think that's one of the best things we've got going for us.
1: It is. And and the idea that she could go and do this and live her dream is not, it, the American dream is not dead. And the reason right. people want to keep saying this is the, 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 that we'll believe it. And we the way we walk right now and act in the public square, I call it Stockholm syndrome, because I think the, the real power of media power is You know, my wife had been sexually abused when she was young for like four years. And I said, why didn't you leave? And she goes, they groom you. And pretty soon you are a captor mentally. They don't have to lock the door. It's Stockholm syndrome. And I said, you know, that's what happens to us. We start to feel like we're a minority in our own country. And that's the power of media. It's an asymmetric power. A few media owners make start to make us angry because we're belittled or we're, we're deplatformed. But we're the majority. Um, and when you take the center right Democrat, the center uh, center left Republican, and then the 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 the, the, conser- the real hard conservative, and you add that all up versus progressivism, um, we're the large in large way the majority of this country, and we should start acting like it. Yeah, we should start acting like it.
0: I saw a nice talk by or a short video by Nebraska Senator Ben Sass, who was basically saying, you know, the stuff that's going on in D.C., that's not what's going on in our communities in Nebraska. Nope. You know, we're, we're working hard or trying to do a good job, raise our families, you know, take care of our neighbors. That's most of the country. It's most of the country. And I don't ask
1: my neighbor if his, if his house on fire, how he voted. And I, no. my favorite restaurateur in town is constantly tweeting about this or that that I don't like. But I would never not go to his restaurant because I don't agree with him politically. How ridiculous, how rude, how un-American um, and how silly, how, how yeah. small, how small a person you'd be if you told your own kids, we're not going to go there because we don't like the way he voted or the way he thought. By the way, this won't work for the leftists. You do this stuff at your own peril, right? canceling? Yes. You'll cancel yourself. Sooner or later, you'll start canceling yourself.
0: You have to keep moving the goalposts,
1: right? Exactly.
0: You have to start canceling for less and less offenses. And yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, uh, you know, that person with a nativity set, canceled. Like, next thing you know, you're canceling everybody.
1: You know, I had the most interesting conversation with a neighbor of mine. I moved to Oxford, Mississippi, which is a college town and it's sure. a writer's town. I mean, some of the great writers in American history from Faulkner on through have come through this place and lived here. And, nice. uh, and that's why I built my studios here. It's a writer's town. Um, and I have writers and, and storytellers. And I was walking with this grand dean of the English department who and I was an English major and a Russian lit minor. And I did some poli sci on the side reading the Federalist papers and all that. Because I felt that was political literature. It was yeah. incredible. I mean, it's it's the greatest well-written paper. stuff. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, Good stuff. <laughs> great stuff about the human mind and the human soul. It's about human beings, the Federalist Papers, and how we organize. So, but but I'm reading all these great books and compelled to do Shakespeare and love it because it was beautiful. And and he was telling me the story of how somewhere around the 1990s, the 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 English department, which was really big started to get smaller because the literature started to be political. Mm -hmm. The more political the literature gets, the less universal it is. Mm Shakespeare is not writing to, he's white and he comes from the 16th, 17th century, but he's not writing about those things. His stories are are produced in China. Their stories are produced everywhere because They're universal.
0: That's interesting.
1: A fellow could be played by a white person or a black person. He's a man trying to do good, but he has an Achilles heel. Iago knows what it is and it's his pride and he gets to him and that's all of us. We're all one step away from ruining our own lives. All of us. Um, And and so once it becomes read anti-racism, which by the way, I've read this book. I think everyone should read it because 80% of it's good. It's the prescription that's wrong. I agree with the diagnosis of many parts of the problem. There was racism in the country. It was horrible. People should read letters from a Birmingham jail. It was yeah. terrible what yeah. this country had to go through. And I can tell you as an Arab in New Jersey, we were blockbusted moving into a white town. Really? Uh, but my parents were like, don't worry. they j- Everything will be fine. And it was. <laughs> there were a few idiots who didn't like us because we were Arab. And my, my mom said, get to know those people. Yeah. Um, so, so in the end, when you, as you, as the English departments got more political, huh. they started getting smaller because what attracted all the people, the English department was not politics. It was beauty. Yeah. <clears throat> Mystery. It was, it was something magnificent that that Dostoevsky would transport you to a place that, 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 that the great writers take you. And Anna Anna, 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 one of
0: my favorites, favorite yeah. novel.
1: Well, these people don't take you anywhere. It's a lecture about what's right and wrong with society. It's a political document, masquerading as an English document. And and so he lamented, so we have to just keep in mind that even in our universities, they may be getting louder, these English majors, but they're getting smaller. And so the kids are studying accounting and they're studying marketing and and they just wanna go to the football game and they want to have a date and I, I love living in a college town. Oh yeah, because you get the context of things. and you know yeah, it leans left and, it, and, it, and it's a little over the top sometimes. But on balance, um, the kids are doing great. They're That's more great. curious than ever. They want to get out into life and work and have jobs and once they do, our ideas and principles are properly practiced are going to give them the freedom to grow their paycheck. And grow their dream. Um, and so, in the end, as they turn 30 and 35, um, they sort of come around. Um, you know, How time I, and age does that to people.
0: I feel like it's, well, this is my opinion, not of the showmans too, but I think it's kind of a universal thing. You go off to college, you experiment with sort of like a crazier political ideas. Once you get a job in a 401k, it all settles itself out.
1: Yeah. And then the worry is not connecting enough people to the modern economy. Um, And then what happens? Right. Right. That's something that we we folks who believe in free enterprise have to really more freedom um, can also it creates lots of jobs. But then what kind of jobs and are there pensions? Um, Is there health care that works, that works? We can be against Obamacare. But look, I've met many conservatives whose wives are on the phone and sometimes husbands battling with an insurance company to simply get something covered that they paid for. And right. it's infuriating, right? It's infuriating, it um, and it's wrong. And if, and if we don't solve some of these problems, look, I've had so many people say, "I've got an insurance card,
0: <clears throat> yeah. and I have
1: insurance, but I don't have health care because right. I'm afraid to go to the doctor. Because I'm afraid of the copay, I'm afraid of the deductible." These, and by the way, I don't think that that means there should be more government intervention. No. But if free markets are to work, if they're not working in this space.
0: Absolutely. Do you know the price of anything when you go to a doctor?
1: No. And this is the problem, right? We don't know the price of anything. And when right. you don't know the price of anything, you'll always pay way too much.
0: Well, I'm really li- looking forward very much to listening to your podcasts and your radio show. I love podcasts and I love stories. So it sounds like a really perfect combination. I want to listen to the Wright brothers. It's one of my favorite stories. So well, we have a
1: good nav bar so you can just search it. And it'll is it come on um,
0: Apple Podcasts or where do we find it?
1: Everywhere. I mean, just Everywhere. Go, you only got to do is go ouramericanstories.com. And by the okay. way, we've got like the first four pages. So it'll, you know, okay. you, you can't miss it. And, uh, and then and, and just scroll. And by the way, our favorite stories are just ordinary Americans. That's great. Doing ordinary, extraordinary things. And it happens every day. Neighbors helping neighbors. Um, neighbor uh, a neighbor, Marriages being saved rather than broken up. We love right. telling those stories. Marriages that are on the brink that with a little extra effort, work, and love, uh, stay together. Um, and you know, we, it, it's not just about all the you know things that we talk about.
0: Famous people, yeah.
1: Yeah, we want to make sure that it's as people are listening. They're going, "This is my life. This show reflects my life and American life."
0: That's great. Well, um, it was delightful to speak with you this morning. I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, same here. Happy, thanks for inviting. Love your me.
0: energy. Love your energy so. <laughs>
1: appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast.
0: Find more at showmeinstitute.org.